Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and today I'm thrilled to be talking about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning and the incredible sound design on it with production sound mixer Chris Monroe, supervising sound editor James H. Mather, re-recording mixer Chris Burden, and re-recording mixer Mark Taylor. And I wanted to start by just asking you all kind of about the ethos of how you created the sound in this movie because what I loved about the experience of watching this in the cinema is just the way that as an audience member it feels very participatory um, it's incredibly visceral and you've really found the right moments to make it where you're sitting in your seat and you feel the reverberations of something you feel like you're center in a scene and then you've also really dutifully found the moments where you need to pull that down a little bit and so I was just very interested in how you approach setting about creating a sound that the audience can feel and participate in, but then also equally the importance of the moments where you pull that back a little bit. Okay, should I start this uh, just from starting from shooting? Um, I think Jay, um, the guys will support this, that one of the whole things um, that Tom Cruise and uh, Chris McQuarrie have about this film, particularly Tom, is that it has to be, the soundtrack has to sound authentic. The film has to be authentic. So uh, it's very much based on how he hears things when he's doing these stunts. And so it's really important the way that we record everything on the stunts, um, on the on the action sequences. But what's very different on a Mission Impossible film, and particularly this film, is um, as well as a lot of stunts, there's a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of performance. It's not like the kind of stock action movie where a lot of the stunts are done by stunt performers, and and CGI, this all happens for real. Tom does this for real. And so part of the whole thing is for it to sound real. So what happens is we're, we're very much encouraged um, in production to record everything as best we can and, and sound as best we can. And then uh, uh, James and, um, and Chris and Mark in post-production then can add to that original recording and pull it out and all the time Tom will be saying to them this is how it sounded or this isn't how it sounded and I, it needs to sound like this uh, you know perhaps James could take over a bit more from that sure um thank you for having us and um uh it's great to be able to talk about this we you know action movies tend to in the past be as busy in the sound as they are in the visuals and what separates these movies and has started to do so more uh, since Macquarie took the helm is, is they become, everything is about the narrative and the storytelling, as Chris says. So um, we're very blessed to work with, very closely with the filmmakers and have all their experience through the entire process, invest in the final stage of sound. Um, and obviously that includes Tom and we've done that with him when he's hanging off the side of a plane We've done it with him when he's holding his breath for five minutes underwater. And now we're doing it with him on the top of a train, uh, not, to <laughs> not to mention about a dozen other stunts in his movie. It's jam-packed, uh, as Mark will testify. But one of the things that we've really, uh, we've really learned through the process is that the filmmakers have a very clear idea of where they will want to sound design and, and plausibility effects, the kind of immersive uh, sequences where they want the audience to feel absolutely cheek by jowl with the, the actors on the screen, um, whether it be on the top of a train uh, or running through the streets of Venice or where, however, whichever scene they've chosen to go with effects only, um, 
they they they're very clear and concise about that. Uh, there's a scene in the alley where um, Tom has a fight. Sorry, Ethan has a fight with Paris, and we played that scene to Tom, uh, who was with us for most of the mix, and he was very complimentary, but then tore it apart and said, "You know what I miss is the I miss the grit, I miss the sweat, I miss the the breathing and the efforts." And the he said, "You know, the cameras are in there, and as we know from." Chris's work, the microphone's in there as well. Everybody's vying to get what they can uh, from what's being filmed. And it, it, sometimes we we get a little bit, you know, precious about sound and we can try and strip away the production in order to make it as clear and as clean as possible so that Mark can mix how he would like it to be um, if it were to be pristine and clean. And it sounds great. And it sounds clinical and it sounds aggressive and punchy and edgy, but it doesn't sound dirty. And what Tom really has sort of veered more towards in these in these uh, films is the authenticity, as Chris mentioned, and the sweat and the, the, the grit and grime and exertion that these characters are, these actors are putting into the characters. He wants all that to come through every possible uh, nuance of the of the scene, whether it's sound, whether music takes over, whether it's lighting, whatever whatever aspect McHugh and he have put together to tell that story, he wants them to be as concise and as visceral and immersive as possible. So we are blessed to have the man on the screen next to us telling us what it feels like to be hit in the chest with a pipe. <laughs> <laughs> we are also blessed not to know what it sounds like. <laughs> You didn't have to recreate it in Foley. <laughs> no, thankfully not. <laughs> he wanted to, but we didn't. He would have done. Yeah, he'd have very yeah. Yeah, done. <laughs> James hit me with a pipe. <laughs> and maybe, maybe fine. <laughs> maybe Mark yes. and, and and Chris B. I'll have the the two of you kind of talk to the next point, which is, you know, the re the relationship with the music department and just the musicality of the film as well. Because when you kind of step back and look at the sound design alongside the music. Uh, composition it's very hand in hand um you know and it, it it there's certain choices that feel like they were made based on what the music choices are because obviously if you suddenly have this moment of loud score or like the iconic theme tune playing then you wouldn't hear certain breaths or foot, footsteps because if you crank those up then they're going to sound very unrealistic to the audience but also it feels like the pacing of the design that you've created really kind of goes hand in hand and so I was just interested in the relationship with that team and and really creating a pacing and a rhythm and a musicality to the sound design of the movie. Yeah, Chris. Mark, yeah, why don't you go, Mark, in terms of... Well, I mean, well, I'll, I'll, I'll just lead Mark into it. There's, this film has got so many wonderful spaces where we don't play music, and it means the emphasis when music does appear in the movie and comes and goes is just so much greater and has so much profound, more profound impact. So, but Mark was made to work very, very hard in this movie because there was lots of great sequences where we really relied on the sound effects. But yeah, and also we we didn't get the music till quite late on. I mean, I think our first our first tent mix was it three hours long, James, something like that. Yeah, more just effects. And pretty oh. much it was about twenty minutes of music. So you kind of you know there's the I think it, what it did was help people get used to scenes without music and then they could pick the moments that the music would help to enhance the drama and or the emotion. Um, 
rather than kind of carpet bombing everything with with it early doors and then me trying to kind of squeeze my way in it was it was almost in certain areas a reverse of that in that um you know i would i i was allowed to do my bit and then some music would turn up but it was in such a, it was constructed in such a way it sat very easily with what we were doing because people have had time to digest um where we were further on down the further on down the line and it's a great score and cecile is amazing and chris is amazing yeah it, it was just it, it all just there's certain i still get goosebumps on certain cues you know you kind of don't expect oh this is a, a kind of a you know a moment that uh lawn and cecile and co came up with it, it, it's quite interesting that um the core, particularly with Chris talking about where the starting point and location and Tom and Chris's drive for the experience, as you described, Mara, in where you're in the centre and the massive experience of being in a vehicle or being on a bike or being on a train, that we're creating that. We've got real sound as the core, but we've also got the luxury that the the feeling of being there or the feel, what we want the audience to to, it doesn't have to be literal, but it still achieves the same thing. And that transition through so much, again, if it's, if it's, if we're lucky, we have been shot and scripted in such a way as we, we can, we can start to pull back from what we might be a more real, the realistic sounds, but we still have the core. And then that takes us into musical moments, which, so, so what we're trying to achieve coming, pushing and pulling from moments of, crazy um the se action sequences where you're right in the thick of it to still feel this the fear still feel the excitement of the scene but transitioning to music and um uh, and just changing changing gears a little bit and we're the way it's constructed by eddie hamilton this editor we we were always pushing for that and always trying to achieve that so you don't lose the audience you push and pull if you've got a a, a slightly different sequence where the music takes takes the foreground so we're, we're we're always trying to again it's such a, a mantra for us but it's got to feel the personality of the, of the main characters of the movie just have to drive right through the center of the film i think the venice sequence is a good example of that as james said we have, you know we start off with a visceral fight in an alley and end up with this fantastic score uh, uh i won't spoil uh, for anyone who hasn't seen the film but somebody dies and um we've just gone with we just go with music and, um, you know, it's got, it's, have you seen it, Chris? You know who dies, don't you? <laughs> not you just play them off with I music. Believe, I can't believe you spoiled it. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I, I love I love that point that you brought up there, Chris, about it doesn't always have to be the literal sound, you know, and whether it's, okay, this is what the sound would be like on a train as it's like careening off the tracks or we're now in a submarine and we're underwater with the characters. Um, what were some of the spaces where you kind of found those moments of this doesn't have to be the literal sound, but this is actually the better way of creating that experience for the audience and they're still going to step into this moment in the same way for any of you guys that want to jump in on that? The literal sound is is um, it's interesting because it goes back to what Chris Monroe said about the the notion that they want this to be entirely plausible, the fact that the stunts are real, they're not CG, they're not animated, they're real stunts. So everything has to lean into that and encourage that plausibility and that belief system. Um, and and so the emotion is really as Chris um, Burden says, the emotion is driven by the music and the and the kind of next level of where we're going to and and what that might bring to us or what that might reveal 
is music. But we have, you know, we had a big nightclub scene where, you know, you're changing the dynamics of the, the evening's build through this kind of nightclub music, which is playing both as source, but also it's it's got a score rhythm to it, which they worked so hard to try and manipulate something that would have a, a place in the movie, not just as a track in the background where everyone's dancing. Mm -hmm. And it and that's a really good example of where the fabric of the soundtrack, they get it. They, these filmmakers love the sound of their movies. They know how much it can help the storyline, how much it can clarify the emotional weight and delicacy. And so every part of it is considered and conceived in a way. And there are occasions where you get a, you know, a lucky break, something happens and everyone goes, that's amazing. That's great. But I think that the, the atmospherics in this movie with, with the kind of scale of it and with the compression of it, whether you're outside in the valley on top of a train or inside a tunnel being, you know, sliding around the roof, when you come out and the music kicks in as 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 Haley gets up off the, the the train and the music takes over, you've got like five different shifts of emotional um, sound beds, and the whole time, all they want the audience to do is focus on those guys on the train fighting. And I'm probably repeating myself, but that sense of detail, where all elements of the soundtrack, from production to music to sound design, all have to push and pull the levers to keep the audience totally breathless is uh, is quite unique. It's quite unique. I mean, we rarely have the opportunity where we are given so much time and space to play with uh, that isn't being overwhelmed by one thing that's fighting something else that's clearing space for something. I mean, this is, this is a patchwork of real um, panache, I think. It's really classy. I think that's an important point that you make. Um, you know, where traditionally the score would be used to 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 create the emotion. Um, we have the opportunity of using the, the effects to create the emotion as well. Um, you know, it's almost, it, it doesn't compete with the score. It's equivalent to the score. It's very much a part of the film. And I think that it's, what's interesting is the, how, how, how audio is such a big part of the movie as a whole. You know, it's not, you know, we talk about going to see a film, but actually particularly a Mission Impossible movie, we go to see and hear it. It's all part of the entertainment process, part of the immersion of, of being there. And I think that there's even more to it than that in that I've mentioned that it's a performance-driven film, uh, as Mission Impossibles always are, but this but as this is my third, and every one that I've done gets more and more performance-driven. And, you know, we we have the um, we have a job to kind of enable that performance. So, for instance, for my part in production, lots of the stuff that I need to do isn't necessarily ever going to end up in the final movie. It's stuff like just um, Tom's communications, for example, you know, when he does his stunts to do them effectively, safely, because one of the things that um, that probably isn't known, we talk about. Tom being a daredevil, but he is incredibly safe. And these things are very well planned. And, and part of it is part of being safe is having really great communications. So we have to provide communications 
for Tom with camera crew when he's in the air with even you know when he's when he's free falling you know he'll need to know things like wind speeds or or if something is dangerous and we need to abort and that's all part of how sound enables this film and in post-production the soundtrack enables the film and I think that's a that's that's quite an important difference to what to a lot of other movies yeah and there's there's also such an ethos in these films of being as much as possible on location in the moment for that you know reality transcending into the film and, and performance focus like you were all saying um and within that I was interested in the sound elements because obviously within certain sequences there are moments where logistically you know the train sequence for example you're in a replica train but then all of a sudden you know when it tips up sideways that needs to be filmed in a studio because logistically that's the only way to accomplish it you can't actually tip an entire train off the edge of a bridge in that way with the no, actors I think they it. did <laughs> let, <laughs> let, let me say though that when when they're fighting and having dialogue on top of that train that train is a real yeah. train moving at 60 miles an hour yeah I mean that's pretty challenging for everyone it's incredible but from a sound perspective, I was interested in kind of how you're using the sound that you're recording on location and what you're doing in post-production when you're essentially kind of like building out the world that existed where you were able to get real on-location sound, but then maybe there's a sequence within that that was filmed in a studio back lot. So that's a very different layering and texturing that you're creating as a team. The images, yeah. Oh, just, just, just going to say, so the core thing first is that, that Chris on location, whether it's in a studio or out and about where the sound might sound typically more real, is just that it's done done technically as well as it can possibly be done in the studio so that we have good tight sound that doesn't sound like a studio. So that's a very simple starting point. Once we're then mixing a sequence that has ostensibly the core original shoots might be in a studio, you then just assess what is needed around that um, and, and James will tell you that Eddie Hamilton had three or four strands of what was going on outside the carriage that just needed to create that world so it could continue from the real the real um, bits of shooting and, and just make it um, blend seamlessly. I think I was going to say earlier I think that the the gut, what we get from production sound that is so important for us is the energy. And, you know, we've worked on a lot of films where you're trying to clean up distorted sounds because for one reason or another, the wind was too strong. And so they were shouting louder than they had in the rehearsals or whatever, whatever has changed in the dynamics, whether it's in, on set with the wind machine or whether it's on top of a train. The, or falling off a cliff. The effort that goes into pro, pro, um, producing that sound to, to uh, projecting their lines of dialogue is never, it's so hard. It's so hard to recreate that. And everybody knows that. Everybody knows that an actor will very happily do certain lines, um, but they'll really struggle with stuff where there's energy and performance and the tonality of the voice is changing because of the, the the world around you. So that indication, whether it's clean and perfect, whether it's halfway between or virtually unusable, all of it's amazingly helpful because all of it gives us uh, an idea of what the energy has to be. Everything has to match that. If we are, and more often than not, 
and I put this down to Chris's recording techniques and Chris's mixing techniques and the, and the fact that, you know, we'll end up with stuff that is so edgy and yet it is what we have to use. It is absolutely what Tom wants to use. You ask him to re-record a line of dialogue where he's jumping off a cliff and he will really reluctantly go for it because he understands that, you know, we may really struggle. And if we just take a vowel and a consonant and maybe two consonants from his ADR to just give some spike and, and you know, contrast in the delivery of the line, that might be all that's needed because the rest of it is all about the energy of the performance on the day. And so it's a very, very, you know, we, we there is so much information in a production sound that um, to our detriment, sometimes we strip out. I mean, sometimes we just think this is too noisy. It doesn't give us the sense of proximity that we need. And actually it does, but it does it in a way that is, it is ugly. An alley fight is ugly. You know, how are we going to get a head smashing through the glass that isn't, may not be there on the production sand. We may miss it because it's not there in the production sand. So we get, it's all about, right, that has to have a spike, but the rest of it can be scuffy. And, uh, and so production sand in these movies is like a Bible. It's so, it's so important. One of the things I, I love in, in the way that you all have to work as well is just where different creative problem solving comes from very frequently in unexpected places, whether it's, you know, calling the music team and asking them to bang around some notes on a piano at Abbey Road so that you can get the sound for the piano that's lingering about to unleash at any moment on the train. Or, you know, James, there was a moment where I think your daughter was having trouble with the, the sound bar on the television and it was making a crackling noise. And then that's been incorporated into the film. And so what were some of the ways and spaces that you tried to really think outside of the the usual scope of how you work to find those sorts of creative ideas and creative solutions to sound design. One of the things, one of the thing, one of the ways that we work, which which I'm I'm very very proud of, and we have an incredible team of creatives and people who who desperately want to impress with new ideas and new ways of looking at something. And one of the ways that we work is that we share the work, we share the sequences. So everybody has a go at everything. It's not like you're gonna do that reel and you're gonna look after that reel and you'll just do this. So our dialogue editor might come up with something that he's thought of while cleaning the dialogues or editing the dialogues or trying to get ADR to match. And he's come up with something that he's thought about with the Fiat engine or with the response sounds that uh, Ethan's hearing in his glasses. And so everybody's working on all uh, aspects of the soundtrack, which I think is fantastic. It's it's so important that people have ownership over the process and the creative ability to be able to express themselves. And we'll try everything. And we know some things stick, some things don't, but it's worth, you know, there's nothing greater than having your idea up on the screen and thinking, wow, actually, that's really good. And that's not what you're on the show to do. You're on the show to do something different, but it gives you that real buzz and that real feeling of teamwork. And I think in, in, in the creative process, one has to always be aware and available to chance. Things happen that we don't expect. We plan and we plot and we scheme, but things happen that we don't expect. Technical things happen. And instead of being, you, one should always keep your mind open and allow those things to be possibilities. Whether they have a place or not, they should be a possibility. And, and that was the, the entity that you talked about. That happened before the entity had a had a character and so that was never intended but it actually 
played a pretty important role. And I think that's that can be said with most things. You know, we try desperately to make it perfect, but um, more often than not, the things that that happen unexpectedly give us a huge, a huge helping hand. I also love the the detail during the the car sequence and that chase because it's like a Fiat 500. You know, it's a small car. It's an electric vehicle. Um, that I believe you guys got some electric scooters and just kind of like recorded the sound of them speeding up and and slowing down. And I was just interested where that where that idea came from. Control. It was all about control. It was all about having the opportunity to have a remote control that you could accelerate slow, accelerate slow. And we could, because it's such a small sound, recording it in a very controlled environment meant that we could get an awful lot more of the dynamic range in it. But of course, we then go and record the Fiat 500 that had the Tesla engine put in it for real and realized all the things that we're missing are the sounds of the car creaking under the pressure of being having such a strong engine. So that that informed us okay actually no the thing about this car that's so funny is the doors are cranky and creaky and everything's also battered and um and we were going for the for the motor thinking well it's a car chase the engine is always the big deal in the car chase actually the engine is the is the the, the pitiful engine that this thing has compared to the hummer is part of the humor is part of the whole but the fact that the car sounds like it's about to fall apart just adds to that so yeah, there was a lot of fun. There's a, the, the 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 effects team have they have these uh, these day days out, and they go <laughs> and record things, and it's like they get in a bus and they all shoot off to some studio or some location, and they all got they've all got headphones and microphones, and and um, you always come back with something. You come back with something that's that's like diamonds, diamonds, or sonic diamonds. Um, and they love it. It gets them out of the studio. You know, they need exercise. <laughs> well, just talking about the car chases, it might be worth bearing in mind that um, most of this movie was shot during the uh, COVID pandemic. So we had to find new ways of shooting. You know, normally, you know, we would all been crammed into some kind of fast chase vehicle, chasing behind these cars. Um, recording everything um, and particularly you know, in these in these sequences there's lots of dialogue which wasn't necessarily scripted so we've always got to be prepared for dialogue to happen because it is you know it is it is grace in the car and it is Ethan in the car and they could have dialogue at any time um, but we weren't able to shoot it in the way that would that we traditionally would have shot it so we had to you know we had to find new ways of doing it and we did that by using a lot of a lot of different body worn recorders. So we used radio mics which could record. The car just went off with with cameras mounted on them. They went off and just did their thing. And then our challenge was then getting it all that stuff back and maybe somehow being able to present what might be ten or twelve different tracks into one track for um for the editors for editors and so we we had to we had to find new processes new ways of working to make that work and i was also wanting to talk about the the scene where ethan essentially is on the motorbike and then jumps off the edge of the cliff and then comes down in the parachute because i think it goes back to everything that you were all talking about at the beginning and being a great example of the moment where you feel like you're right there with him and then the moment where the sound just kind of drops off and creates this incredible tension and so i was very curious about a lot of the intricacies that went into that and some of the specific sounds that you feel really created that experience in that moment. 
I'll just say there was there, there was a certain shape we were established fairly early on, but it was quite um, not ill-defined. It certainly wasn't ill-defined initially, but we we knew that there would be certain points where we would we would really be much more specific about how we were going to approach it. There, you know, there was the music. We knew the music was going to work very hard up to the the jump. And then we uh, there was a you know there's a, there's a period of time where we we had silence and sound and those the, the simple contrast that was going to offer up what we wanted and Tom was particularly keen Mark Mark um, uh, uh, hit the fader hard on one particular edge and Tom absolutely loved it it was and, and it was a kind of moment where we were just experimenting what was going to really work we as i said we didn't know it, it, it kind of evolved fairly quickly that we knew the fundamental path through that but mark will tell you that the actual silence and i and i had elements which, which was breathing and a few lines of dialogue that needed just to play um where, where, where tom's cheeks are going in the in you know what was recorded the original stuff and all that, that we wanted that just to work beautifully and perfectly and with huge impact and there was there was humor still leading up to that as well so we couldn't lose that it had to be tension humor because that's part of the film so i don't know mark will tell you how we yeah um, from memory we i mean there was a, a time i can't remember the what the music was doing but it towards the end became much more grandiose in terms of right this is this is the moment we've all been waiting for and so um effects definitely took a back seat uh for the approach and then basic i mean it was it was the way the music was constructed the way the scene was constructed it seemed commonsensical to you know to either go hell for leather with the music and or what's just happened and you know i'm i'm an advocate of silence as a as a, a very effective tool because it leaves people to imagine what's going on rather than being told. And yes, I did make the uh, the cutback. <laughs> right it was a bit like this. It was like, what? Go on then. All right. How about that? It was. <laughs> wasn't it a late Saturday night or something? It yeah. was a late day, and it was like, what? This? No, no more. No. Like this? No, no, no more. <laughs> this? No. no more. Oh, well, that then. <laughs> Mark, have you ever yes. jumped off a cliff? On a mount on a on a motorbike, and I, I'm I am embarrassed to say I haven't ever done it, so I wasn't quite sure. But there's a lot that's of things. Sounds like. there's a lot of. And things you've never been hit in the chest with a lead pipe either. No, it's <laughs> all of these. But the other thing is that everyone had seen this scene in the making. They'd released yeah. this video yeah. of the, the the jump and all its construction and and the ramp and you know it was out there. It was public. So what they didn't have on that was the sound. And the music, so and the visual effects, which were very impressive. Yeah. So it was a bit of an opportunity for us to kind of go, okay, that's what it looks like and sounds like naked. That's what these guys spend every day working really hard with drones and mics and everything else. And then this is what it sounds like when it's been tarted up. This is what this is what the end. And actually, it's a really nice comparison of what these, you know, what production has to work with and how hard they have to work to get everything. And so then to see the finished result and the decisions that clearly went into how that should play, uh, the fun of the bike going up the hill to that point, him realising there's no other option, da, 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 da. the storyline and everything else, it's a really nice counterpoint that you rarely get. I was I was astounded that they showed the, the stunt so far ahead of 
the movie being released because it was such a big moment and it was like how on earth are we going to make that yeah entertaining when everybody knows what's going to happen <laughs> but i believe i believe the uh the volume push on the cut into tom falling through the air did the job thanks mate <laughs> well i all of the work that you've done on this film is is absolutely incredible and so deserving of the the nominations this season so congratulations on thank all of your you. incredible work and thank you so much this has been so fascinating to hear all these details thanks mara thank you thank you very much mara thank you